it doesn't matter how great your data is or how impressive your algorithms are if you're not making quality predictions and better decisions. Welcome back to What the Fundraising. I'm your host, Mallory Erickson, and this podcast is for impact leaders and change makers who are looking to fundamentally change the way they lead and fundraise. This episode is a part of a very special series called The People Behind the Products. There is no sponsorship or industry money behind the production of this series, and the editorial content was at the sole discretion of the What the Fundraising team. Today, I'm interviewing Nathan Chappelle. Nathan is a trailblazer in the world of AI-driven fundraising, bringing his vast experience and innovative ideas to the conversation. His expertise in machine learning, deep learning, and natural language processing has enabled him to challenge traditional assumptions and deliver groundbreaking insights into donor behavior, which he has also shared through his recent book, Generosity Crisis. In this episode, Nathan shares his insights on using AI to measure connections, stressing its ability to challenge assumptions and improve accuracy when modeling donors and prospects. By segmenting donors and community members and considering their ever-evolving priorities, AI enables fundraisers to make informed decisions about which individuals are most likely to offer support. There is so much inside this episode that challenged the way I think about AI, data, and how we connect with our donors. So let's dive in so you can learn from Nathan. Welcome, everyone. I am so excited to be here today with my friend, Nathan Chappelle. Nathan, welcome to What the Fundraising. Thanks for having me, Mallory. It's great to be here with you. Why don't we start with you just telling everyone a little bit about yourself, what brought you to your work in the first place, and um, tell everyone a little bit about what you do today. I spent 20 years in the fundraising world after, actually, I'll go back a little bit. I was a technology business owner before getting into the nonprofit world, spent 20 years in nonprofit, and now I find myself bookending that 20 years working for a, a private sector company, which is Donor Search AI where we only work with nonprofit organizations. And I guess the way I found myself into that was working at a large cancer hospital, realizing that there was technology in the world that could benefit us back in 2017 and just decided to jump into the deep end of the pool and figure out how to use AI. And here we are. So tell everyone a little bit about like what the AI is like that you work with. Because I think there has obviously been a new understanding of AI in the last few months with the rise of chat GPT, but I would say in general, AI still feels a little bit like this gray area that not a lot of folks understand. So can you explain the type of AI you're interacting with? Yeah, that's it's a great question. I've been working in AI before it was actually cool to talk about, you know, when back, <laughs> back in the day, I mean, like five years ago, working in the type of AI that I'm specifically working every day is machine learning and deep learning and some natural language processing. We it's a AI is a confluence of different technologies that tend to work together. But essentially, my hypothesis in 2017 was if we could take all of our hospitals internal data that we had access to we can enrich that data with external data, like consumer data and some experiential data, then we essentially could get away from this idea of trying to essentially find potential donors based on their wealth, which is what most nonprofits still do today. And it's what we were doing up until this time. 
instead of looking in and prioritizing people based on their wealth, we could prioritize people based on their connection to the organization. So really using machine learning, deep learning to measure a person's connection to an organization and then be able to do that essentially in real time over and over again. Okay. So can we talk about this piece of connection? Like how do you measure connection? Let's start there and then I'll ask some follow-up questions. Yeah. I mean, I think if you go from what it was to what it is now, it's a pretty stark comparison. In the past, we used to take around 18 to 24 data points to essentially determine if someone was a decent prospect. And those data points would be like, you're a board member, or you made a gift in the last 12 months, or you graduated from our school. What AI has enabled us to do is do that, but on steroids. So an average machine learning model that we use to measure connection uses on average about a thousand data points. And and in fact, it's not just one algorithm. We use on average around 2,700 algorithms per client. So lots of algorithms using lots of data. And essentially what it does is it demystifies what we think we know about our donors to actually proving to the 10th decimal point what why donors actually make a gift. And so every organization will look different because every organization has different demographics and geographics and different culture of philanthropy and how they foster the low end of the pipeline or the high end of the pipeline. But they are almost always things that are very intuitive. A good example of this is like when we're using lots of data to measure connection, we work with a lot of children's hospitals. And in some in cases, we often find that of all of the individuals that will give to a children's hospital, we'll find instances where they have recently bought children's apparel in their consumer data file. Mm -hmm. So this is, again, intuitive because out of the world of people that might give to a children's hospital, people that recently bought children's apparel, it's a nice slice off the top to be like, oh, okay, we don't have to tell the model this is a children's hospital or even what a children's hospital is or what children's apparel is it will be able to find the correlations just in the data of how often that data point of children's apparel shows up in their data. Okay, so in addition to the fact that AI gives us the capability and capacity to analyze all these data points that we could never do alone as humans, what are things that you've seen as folks have been using your AI where you watch fundraisers get surprised? by what the connection points show versus some assumptions they've been making? Yeah, I think it's there's been a few really big revelations. We call them the evolutions or the five evolutions of AI. And these are things that we really didn't know in 2017. But we like to say we know more about the true motivations of generosity than ever before in history. Some of the biggest epiphanies have been, some of them are basic, like, you need more than 18 data points. You need to enrich your file. You'd be much more holistic, less biased if you are enriching your data. But two of the biggest data epiphanies that we've had is one is almost every nonprofit organization does some sort of modeling. They try to figure out who their best prospects are. And 99 times out of 100, they will have one model that serves both prospects and donors. And the challenge with this, and I had done this for 20 years, is that when you model a prospect against a donor, 100% of the time a prospect will score lower than a donor. So mainly because they're essentially penalized. The model penalizes non-donors for having not made a gift. But side by side, we know that, well, there could be people that are as deeply connected to our mission that just haven't made a gift because 
philanthropy does not equal money. It equals a heart in an alignment of values. So when we decided a few years ago to bite the bullet and separate donors from non-donors and model them separately, we can look at their models side by side and realize how vastly different they are. And so that reduced a tremendous amount of bias that we have toward non-donors and donors, repeat donors. So that was probably one of our biggest epiphanies. And it's something that we hope that reverses this bad practice of just trying to fit everyone into that bucket. Mm -hmm. And the second big epiphany is that most organizations over time would just model someone one time and maybe one time a year, maybe one time every three years. That was kind of the customary process. But realizing that people every day have an opportunity to do something or not do something, like they can open an email from you or not, or they can volunteer or not, or they can make a gift or not. So that second really big epiphany is that people are not static. People are an N of one. They're an individual that every day has an opportunity in life to reach out to you or not. And so therefore, to follow how the private sector measures. Amazon doesn't just look at me once a year and decides if I'm a good consumer. They look at me every time I open an app and buy something, like something, return something, share something, any of that, and essentially continuing to reassess my engagement with different things. So those are probably the two biggest epiphanies. And I think those are extremely healthy for our organization because in fact, none of our models, we don't use wealth data in any of our models. We actually have taken all wealth data out because we proved early on that wealth and giving are very low correlations. We actually just look at connection. I love that. I think you answered one of my other questions, which was what is one of the biggest misconceptions around a tool like yours? And I think it is that it's based on wealth. And so I really appreciate you explaining that and clarifying that to folks. And I really love what you said about the fact that our donors are changing constantly. And I've been thinking about that a lot with identity giving. I just had a client who lost a donor and the donor was really straightforward about their shifting priorities. And the fundraiser was obviously disappointed. But when we looked at it, it was like, look, like the identity of this donor has really changed. And what they're aligned with today is different than what they were aligned with five years ago when they signed up for your monthly giving program. And so I think that's such an important piece to just testing that engagement consistently and recognizing that they change over time. Yeah. It's really allowed us to move away from this idea of personas in generalized personas of like, Mm -hmm. you're a donor, you're not a donor, or you're this type of donor. And really look at this idea of like N of one, which is Mm -hmm. really, if we follow the guide of medicine, precision medicine is based on this idea that every single person is an N of one. Every single person has a different disease based on if you have type of cancer, you don't have a general form of cancer. You don't have prostate cancer or breast cancer. You have a cancer that's specific to you based on your genotype, that every person is treated based on their own DNA. And we're really trying to bring that level of sophistication to the nonprofit world, that every person is unique to them. And that person can, to your point, will change over time. You know, not long ago, actually, when I started my last nonprofit job was, We haven't screened our database in three years. And by the way, it wasn't the whole database. It was only people that we felt worthy of screening Mm. to the point of measuring every single person and their connection to organization all the time in real time. 
That is such a good point. And I have really seen that as well and how much bias we can put into a system like that and then get the data that we have set ourselves up to get. For folks who are maybe new to this idea or this type of tool, how does using AI, like donor search AI, impact the decision-making of fundraisers? What types of decisions and actions does it inform for the fundraiser? I mean, it doesn't matter how great your data is or how impressive your algorithms are if you're not making quality predictions and better decisions, right? And so first and foremost, I think the types of decisions that you're making, one, are more donor-centric and less biased in the sense that they're prioritizing rich people that are likely to give, which is unfortunate. I laugh, but literally happening nine out of 10 times in our industry today. So when we see and work with, I think there's a couple big changes is one is that AI is very different in the sense that AI, you'll never be ready to do it and you'll never be done with it. So it's, there's freedom in knowing that when you start machine learning, the operative word is learning or deep learning is learning. It's getting better over time. What that means is that every person who receives the information is part of the feedback loop. So fundraisers aren't now just the recipients of data. They are now part of the feedback loop. And so what I see is a big shift and a culture shift where we create this equilibrium of art and science is that now it's not just like I'm in charge of the data and I pass out prospects like I pass out candy. It's like my job is to make the candy and give it to you. Now it's our job is to take all the data. We have a bowl of candy to enable fundraisers to take the candy that's best for them. It's really like you think about a playlist and the difference between curating your own playlist versus curating playlists of songs you like and then having, say, Spotify augment that and enrich it with some other songs you might like. Not all of them will be perfect, but surprisingly, it actually gets better and better over time. It's very similar. And I think that's a process in the change management that our industry is going through right now and will continue to go through because the haves and the have-nots of AI and non-AI are going to be very noticeable in the near future. And things like ChatGPT just should, they put a spotlight on that aspect and how quickly AI can elevate your role versus someone that is not using it. Yeah, I so appreciate everything you said. What do you think are fundraisers' biggest fears when it comes to AI? Like when you all have recommended AI informing certain decision-making or what is the fear that comes up? Well, part of the fear is grounded because if we think about AI in the private sector, I mean, there's been lots of horror stories, right? I mean, Twitter had an ageist, racist, Islamophobic algorithm, ableist, all kinds of bias. And people hear that, they remember that, and Twitter's stock price went down. The fear for most individuals is that there's this differential that philanthropy is entirely based on trust. And trust is the currency of the nonprofit sector. How do we trust something if there's a black box? We just call it the black box. Like, I don't know what's in it. I don't know how it's making these algorithms. And we made a commitment early on that, and I'm a very big proponent of this personally, that there should be no such thing as a black box in the nonprofit sector. So any model we build can be accessed, viewed visually by anyone. And so I think one of the biggest fears is the fear of like, I don't know what's in it. But once you understand what's in it and you can see it visually and you can see how it's making its predictions, there's no hypothesis. It's just math. And at the end of the day, if you have more people that are making their first gift because they open an alumni newsletter on a Tuesday or a Thursday between 2 and 4 p.m., 
then that is a strategic data point you can use to do more of those things. So I think it's more of a fear of the unknown. And I think our industry has created some of that fear because we have created black boxes in some cases. And in some of those black boxes and early AI tools made giving more transactional. But I think anytime you talk about AI in the nonprofit sector, it has to have the word responsible ahead of it, that there should be like responsible AI. There's no AI in the nonprofit sector that should not have the word responsible in front of it. And that's something that we have to hold each other to a high level of accountability to make sure that we are competitors or not. Anyone doing this needs to maintain privacy and security and ethics and equity among all the data that they're using. Yeah. What is the problem that AI solves? And you can share a little bit about generosity crisis if you want in this too. Like, I'm just thinking about the role you see AI playing in solving some of the biggest challenges that we're facing as a sector. I firmly believe that AI is the only scalable solution that can help reverse the generosity crisis. You know, of course, in America, the percentage of households that give to charity has been decreasing at a pretty increased rate. And that doesn't end well for anyone. I mean, giving ends in 49 years to traditional nonprofits is something that doesn't change. But when we spent so much time researching and looking at our book of like telling people to go back to church and just go to church and we'll solve the generosity crisis, it's not something that's going to go over very well. AI, because true AI is evaluated on precision and personalization. If you can leverage precision and personalization at scale affordably, and then essentially let that serve as this like co-pilot to your prospect development efforts, we can increase the things that are needed so badly in our field. Because people, the 51% of Americans that don't give to charity, they don't give because A, it's either not personalized or they're not the right fit for your organization. So it's led a lot of behavior like spray and pray and lots of other things where it's just worn people out to the point that most non-donors feel like, you don't really know me. You don't really care about me. I'm just an ATM to you. Therefore, I'm not going to give. I think AI has the ability to solve for that and super bias in this. But I've kind of bet my entire career on the fact that it is the only scalable solution that can help reverse it. I really appreciate you sharing that. And I think as somebody who has been tech timid throughout my life, I think it's taken me some time to really sink into the truth of that and to really deal with my own dis... I love what you said before about the black box. I think so much of my discomfort with AI or automations even was like, I don't understand how this works. And that makes me nervous to use it. And it's taken me a lot of time to just be really honest with myself about like what these tools open up and how can I be comfortable and okay with not always totally understanding it. Like my husband could talk to you about these models till you're blue in the face and I sit there and I'm like, can you draw me a picture? (laughs) (laughs) And I think like, that's okay. Like I want people to feel like they can embrace AI and overcome the discomfort that comes with not understanding it instead of feeling like they have to totally get it to use it. Yeah. What scares me is people that run AI algorithms that can't explain it themselves. So there's a grounded fear in that where you as an individual to look at like 3000 lines of code, it's not going to make you feel more comfortable. But if you could see your algorithm visually and to look at data points that are yielding the greatest part of the prediction, 
it starts to make sense. Now, there has to be that willingness, that responsible AI starts with this willingness of an organization like ours to say, like, we will only build models for you that are fully transparent, that you have full access to, and that you're part of, because you are part of that feedback loop. We are just maintaining and, mm -hmm. and helping retrain. So when you realize that AI can remove tremendous amounts of bias, and the biggest was very early on in my AI career, was realizing that we were adding so much bias by our models. Of, if I was to characterize you with 18 data points, which is the average number of data points in a classic regression model, how much would we be missing of you? Who am I to say, well, these are the most important 18 data points of Mallory versus let's use a thousand data points and let the model actually do its thing and help us. And so still you need software and people to essentially look actively for bias. And that has to be part of the responsible AI. But I didn't realize how much bias we were adding into our assumptions of which 18 data points were important to begin with. And we've challenged a lot of that, which is freeing, actually. And once you cross that hump, then you feel like, wow, this is actually, I realize like I'm reducing bias. I am more holistic. I'm conscious of this. I know what's in it. And actually, a lot of the data inside an algorithm is very actionable from a strategy perspective. That's such good advice. And I think it helps us break out of scarcity mindset in a lot of ways. A lot of times where we have those limiting beliefs around what is and what isn't possible with our donor base. I feel like these tools help us see the things we can't see ourselves. And so I really appreciate that. Any final things you want to make sure to leave folks with? I'll make sure Generosity Crisis, we have links to the book below. But where should folks go to find you and any final words? My final word would be, it all starts with starting. I share this and it's not flippant, but it's like, you'll never be ready to use AI. So don't wait for your data to be perfect. Don't wait to have more data. You'll never be ready. In fact, AI is really good at filling holes and gaps in data. You'll never be ready and you'll never be done. It was one of the most freeing moments that I realized that I was conditioned in my career. It's like build a model, use a model until it wears out and then build another model. It's just this like horrible kind of feedback loop of just like going through over and over again, feeling like you rinse and repeat, realizing you'll never be ready and you'll never be done is actually very freeing that you have a model that you can, you'll learn and grow with and that will get better over time is a really big flip to switch that I think took me a, at least a year when I was first learning how this works. And then as far as getting connected with me, LinkedIn is really a great way. You could also go to the generositycrisis.com to learn more about the book and learn about me and my co-authors. Yeah, love LinkedIn. I'm on all it like you. <laughs> like Both LinkedIn nerds love our LinkedIn communities. And yeah, happy to connect with anyone that way. Amazing. Thank you so much, Nathan, for this conversation and for joining me on the show. Awesome. Thanks, Mallory. It's such a pleasure to be here. All right, there is so much inside this episode, but here are a few of my top takeaways. Number one, AI technology gives us the ability to uncover the secrets behind personalization and precision in charitable giving that we could not learn another way. Number two, we need as a sector to embrace the discomfort associated with AI implementation if we want to see improved fundraising results. Number three, Enrich your data file with external data and experiential data to better understand donor connections. Number four, separate donors and non-donors when modeling to reduce bias and improve understanding of motivations for giving. I thought this was so interesting. Number five, 
continually reassess donor engagement as their preferences and circumstances may change over time. Looking at data and running AI models is not a one-time thing. Okay, for additional takeaways and tips inside this episode, head on over to malloryerickson.com backslash podcast to grab the full show notes and resources now. You'll also find more information there about Nathan, generosity crisis, and donor search. Thank you for spending this time with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, we would love it if you would give it a rating and review and share it with a friend. I am so grateful for all of my listeners and the good hard work you're doing to make our world a better place. And if you miss me between episodes, stop by and say hello on Instagram under what the fundraising underscore. Have a great day and I'll see you next week. Hey you, I hope you're loving all the free value you're getting right now from our guest. And speaking of free value, I've raised millions in the nonprofit space without sacrificing my integrity or my alignment. And I'm sharing how I did it in my free webinar, how to harness the power of prioritization to raise more without burning out. Go to malloryerickson.com backslash workshop to register for the free training right now. I cannot wait to see you there.